Greetings, lovelies. Welcome back to another episode of Technically a Conversation. Here, we take turns sharing an interesting topic with each other, and hopefully you'll find it interesting too. I'm a mere half of your host, Isela. Joining me as always is the always fun and sometimes random Jose. <laughs> hey, everybody. How's it going? How are you doing? Good. How about yourself? Good, good. How was your week? Good. Nothing really eventful uh, aside from getting a new air conditioner because I was without an air for about a week, but luckily it's been taken care of and I'm not grumpy anymore. Oh, nice. Yeah. This is the tail end of summer, I guess, so to speak, even though when we record this, this is really the tail end of summer. And when it comes out, it's going to be the lovely September 27th. And hopefully by then it'll be nice and cooler. Yeah, by then I won't even need an air. No, it's still warm by like a November. This is, <laughs> we were in like the butt crack of, <laughs> of, uh, of Texas and it's always hot here. Yeah. And how was your weekend? It was not terribly eventful. Went to my first football game. Can you believe this? American football or real football? American football. Yeah. Oh. That was actually pretty fun. I did part of my nails while we were watching the game. <laughs> I probably would have done the same. Thank you. See, I would have filed your nails too. <laughs> Be like, so then, girl. I'm just kidding. <laughs> like a straight up salon. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm not the biggest American football fan. I like soccer or you know real football. Yeah, but yeah, American football. It's kind of boring. I'm gonna say you probably fall within the larger consensus of the world that likes soccer as we know it versus the American football. Fun fact, though, I have been to a professional football game. This was back in 98, and I went to go see the Cowboys play the Raiders. Oh, how was that? Did you actually enjoy it, or what? I don't remember anymore. <laughs> no, and that was San Pedro? Is that what you were all <laughs> drunk? No, I wasn't even old enough to drink when I went. I was maybe like 18 or something. But we did do a lot of drinking, but not at the Cowboys game. That's a story for another day, though. <laughs> it was like a pregame? Uh-oh. Okay. Actually, that might circle back. A little bit later in this conversation, oh. you'll find out. One of the reasons I like this particular topic that we're going to talk about is because I feel like October is basically right around the corner. And that's football season. Yes. No. Oh. <laughs> that's when we get to kind of start talking about like creepy stuff and things like that. That's right. That's my favorite season. The creepy season is your favorite season? Yes. <laughs> or fall is your favorite season. That too. October is really honestly one of my favorite months, mostly because I think it shares our one of our favorite holidays. Yes. But again, even when I'm driving on my commute in the mornings on the radio shows, I can hear like ghost stories and hot cocoa seems to like taste better with a little chill in the air. You know what I mean? You get your pumpkin spice latte <gasps> and now you can also get your pumpkin spice cup of noodles, which is something that I never thought I would say ever. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds absolutely horrible and disgusting. Who is making that? Don't tell me it's Maruchan. Yeah, it's a cup of noodles. Oh, Maruchan. Why you do that? Why you do that? That sounds so wrong. I don't know. I have a, a morbid curiosity to try it. So if I do end up picking up a couple, I'll make sure to save you one. <laughs> no, pass, pass. <laughs> you can just be very descriptive and use your words. It just sounds super gross. It's also like, one of my coworkers was talking about the apple cider donut. What? I've heard that those are fantastic. 
Is that from somebody credible? They were talking about it on MacBreak Weekly just a couple of days ago. I don't know if they have it here, but they were making it seem like it was a New England thing. Oh. I don't know if we might even have an opportunity to try it, but I think most of those dudes were from that region, so they were recounting their fond memories of it. Oh, it's at Dunkin' Donuts here in El Paso. Oh, now we got to try it. We got to see what all the hype's about. That one doesn't seem so bad, but if I can just do like a, what are those things called? The munchkins, the donut holes. Because I don't want to throw the whole thing away if it's like super, like, what if it tastes like butt? That's so gross. <laughs> anyway. Depends on whose butt. Grody. <laughs> Thankfully, we're talking about creepy topics and kind of darker topics. So, all right. I'll allow that nasty comment. <laughs> I always take this podcast to a dark place, right? I know. And we really went there very early. I'm going to apologize for our new time listeners. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> So I was thinking we could start veering this train into a slightly darker topic and we can talk about one of the ultimate worst clubs you can get into. And yet some celebrities are in it. You're smart, Jose. Any guesses on what this club is? Was it that gothic club that we met in? It was the coolest club ever. What do you, don't you talk bad about that thing. <laughs> Just kidding. Oh my God, people are really going to think that's true. I kind of want to say Scientology, although I don't think that's classified as a club. It's like, we I don't even want to say anything bad about that. <laughs> I'm like, wow. You know what, Isola? Just keep your mouth shut. <laughs> um, it is not that one. We are going to talk about the 27 Club. Oh, yeah. That is definitely a dark one. Yeah. We will try to bring some light into it. For any listeners unfamiliar with this 27 Club, it is a group of people which have hit varying levels of celebrity, but they all died at the age of 27. Some of the most famous ones are the Doors frontman, Jim Morrison, and the lead singer for Nirvana, Kurt Cobain. Janis Joplin. Yes, we're going to get into her too. Well, not into her. Whoa. <laughs> that sounds weird. <laughs> we will talk about Janis. Kicking it off with an NPR article about Robert Johnson. Are you familiar with this guy? Yes, the blues guitarist. Yes. Oh, my God. Thank you. Not a lot of people, I know, know him. But if you don't know him and you're a blues fan, please definitely look him up. Some of his famous songs are Crossroads, Dust by Broom, Love in Vain. That one was covered by the Rolling Stones. Traveling Riverside Blues is another song that he wrote, and it was also covered by Led Zeppelin. Oh, wow. I didn't know that. I did not know that either. See, look at the learning going on already. <laughs> <laughs> so he only recorded 29 songs, but he was still able to influence huge blues artists like Eric Clapton, Keith Richards, really, really famous high celebrity type of people. And Robert Johnson is usually associated with a very creepy story. So since you've heard of him, were you also familiar with his story? Yes. <gasps> Fun. Okay. I'll tell you what I know and tell me if I'm right or if I'm wrong. I'm usually wrong, so I probably got some of it wrong. Tell me, tell me. Okay, what do you know? I know about him because we studied him in a music appreciation class when I was in college. And then we saw the movie Crossroads that was influenced by him a little bit. Mm-hmm. But from my understanding, he was an awful guitar player, and they wouldn't let him play in any clubs, so he kind of disappeared for a year. He came back a year later, and he was like the best guitarist ever. So there was a theory that he had sold his soul to the devil to be able to play guitar. Yes. 
And the cool thing is, is like you said, he inspired not just other songs, but he also inspired movies, documentaries. His story is really pretty fascinating. Fascinating in that like creepy sense because everyone wants to know what the heck really happened. The story I had heard or that I had read on a couple of articles, which we'll put in the show notes. When he was 19, this is when, you know, it was like the mid-1930s. He was definitely a really lousy guitarist. Terrible to the point where nobody would allow any stage time. So he took his guitar to the crossroads of Highway 49 and Highway 61 in Clarksdale, Mississippi. That's where it was said that Robert struck a deal with the devil. He said, give me a mastery of blues and I'll give you my soul. So that was the exchange. The story that I kept reading was that he had disappeared for a short while. I was really trying hard to find out how long it was. But full disclosures, I couldn't really find out exactly how long the absence was because there's several accounts that say it was only six months. Some other accounts say that it was actually a year. So I don't know. Hopefully, if somebody knows something with a little more accuracy, we would love to hear what the real absence was. So he had recorded 16 songs in 1936 inside a hotel room in San Antonio. Of course, this is already when people said he seemed to find this talent like overnight virtually. You can still go to this hotel room in San Antonio. There's like a little plaque and everything there. The rest of the songs he had recorded 29, he recorded in Dallas. Shortly thereafter, a couple years later, he died very mysteriously in 1938. According to Britannica, he drank poisoned whiskey in a juke joint. That'll get you every time. That damn poison. (laughs) (laughs) He's actually considered as one of the first rock stars because he had influenced so many people. So I thought that was kind of cool. So next on deck, I didn't know this person, Brian Jones. Heard of that guy? Was he the, I'm probably confusing him. I want to say he was a singer from ACDC, but no, that's Bon Scott. Never mind. Oh, okay. So... Brian Jones was one of the founding members of Rolling Stones. What? I didn't even know. But in full honesty, I'm not the biggest Rolling Stones fan. Not that I dislike their music. I like it. It's just, I can't say that I would know who the founding fathers type of thing was (laughs) for them. So he had developed a severe substance abuse problem by the 1960s. It ended him in jail. He really quickly grew very undependable to the point where... The rest of the band members just kind of pushed him out of the band in 1969. Since this alienated him from the bandmates, which could have possibly been his only friends, it did make some sense that only a month later, he was found dead at the bottom of his swimming pool. Yeah, I have heard that story before. Oh, okay. See, I didn't know who this guy was, so I don't know. I didn't know him by name, but I had heard that he had died and they found his body in his own swimming pool or in a swimming pool or something. That's so sad. Poor guy. The police reports state that he drowned while he was under the influence of both alcohol and drugs. And I guess I keep thinking about, like, that has to be the worst death possible. Have you ever been close to drowning? No, not really. Okay, I have a funny story to share with you about this. Usually most drowning stories are funny. No, actually, they're not. No. I know, I know. (laughs) So, (laughs) So I must have been around five years old. I was getting my very first lesson at one of the local swimming pools. We have a program here. It's called Learning to Swim with Gus and Goldie. So my mom had signed me up for that. And on the very first day, just to kind of make us comfortable with the water and really comfortable with each other, 
what we had to do was hold hands. And we were kind of playing like, it was like a snake slash follow the leader type of thing inside the pool. So the teacher was the one leading and she was kind of doing like figure S's, figure eights and stuff like that. Well, I'm at the very tail end of this snake. And remember, I'm five years old. So I'm like freaking getting whipped around. (laughs) And at one point I got whipped into the deeper end. I was trying to stand up and I could see all the water coming over me and I would fall to the floor and then I would push myself up and then I would try to yell at the same time, but also breathe because I couldn't. Then I was like swallowing all this water. It was fucking awful. My mom was watching and my mom had this fucking big ass purse, by the way. My mom hates the water. She has like a phobia, I almost wanted to say. I felt like I was telepathically (laughs) calling her, you know? (laughs) And she saw me and then she starts yelling, hey, my daughter's drowning. And then my mom jumps in and it looked like she was going to fall right on top of me. Either that or she was going to fucking knock me out with her giant big ass purse, you know? (laughs) I was like, if I'm not dead by the time, like, she's going to fucking knock me out. But thankfully, she got me out and she probably swore at the lady. But my mom was my hero. Well, she's my hero too, because if she hadn't (laughs) saved you, we wouldn't be doing this podcast. Oh my God. It's crazy that I even went back to that damn lesson. (laughs) And I love the water now. Anyway, that's my crazy story. (laughs) That is very crazy. But I'm glad that your mom was quick to react and was able to save you. That was really nice. She overcame her fear of water. And she was like, screw it. I'm going in. Chanclas and all. (laughs) So next up is Jimi Hendrix, El J-Dog, as I like to call him. I'm just just kidding. So I got this information from allthatsinteresting.com. I think a lot of people are familiar with how he died because it's a little bit gross. So I will kind of give that warning up front. According to that website mentioned earlier, he was out drinking and smoking hashish all night with his girlfriend. At this time, he was living in London. They went out to a party. He got home around 3 a.m. And then the next morning, Jimmy was found dead. The actual death was asphyxiation, so he couldn't breathe. But that was because he had, here's the gross part, people, drowned in his own vomit because he had, (laughs) he had taken too many sleeping pills, which hopefully was an accident. I don't know. The author of Jimi Hendrix, The Final Days, he thinks there's actually a little more nefarious activity going on around his death. So he was really overworked at this point. He was really stressed out. He had been having trouble sleeping for quite some time already for this time in his life. And he was trying to relax with some tea and hashish. At one point in that night, he was on a phone call trying to get out of the relationship with his manager. One of the manager's associates was actually having a party that night. So Jimmy, of course, went to the party. He took a really strong methamphetamine. So when he got home, he wanted to sleep, but he couldn't because of that crazy strong pill that he took. So sometime after 6 a.m., he was just like, screw it. I'm taking sleeping pills. His girlfriend also did. And when his girlfriend woke up four hours later, she saw that he was sleeping soundly. She felt comfortable enough to leave him and go get some cigarettes. But when she returned, it was a very different situation. He was alive, but like barely responsive. She called the ambulance. The ambulance did take him to the hospital. At that point in time, he had already died and they tried to revive him a few times, but obviously to no avail. 
It was later reported that he had taken 18 times more than the recommended dose. Oh, shit. Now I'm thinking that probably is more of like a death wish. 18 times? That's a lot. Next on deck, the death deck, if you will. Sorry, that's really bad. (laughs) Is Janis Joplin, the person you were talking about. Did you know that when Jimmy died, it was like less than three weeks when Janis Joplin's death came up? I did not. The nation was trying to mourn or the world was trying to mourn and boom, got hit with this Janis Joplin one. So Janis Joplin, famous Texan, woohoo. She had already started making a name of herself when she was in UT at Austin. And she was the lead singer of a band called Big Brother and The Holding Company. And then she eventually went solo. Janis Joplin was one of those true like 60s people at heart where she dropped out of college. She hitchhiked to San Francisco, which is crazy to think now. And she was just really following her passion of singing. And it's said that she had started to develop her substance abuse problem while she was touring on the road because she wasn't really confident off stage as she was on stage. Off stage, she was very apprehensive and naive, which made it really difficult for her to deal with fame. And that was kind of how she dealt with it. She did try multiple times to get clean. And of course, sadly, the disease must have just been too strong. Janice was found in a Hollywood hotel room, clutching her money in one hand and cigarettes in another. That's the way I would want to go to, clutching my money in one hand, my (laughs) cigarettes in the other. I feel like you joke, but I kind of feel like you holding cigarettes is like, screw it. If I know I'm going to die, I'm going to smoke these, right? Is this not you or not? Let's see. It's been about maybe like six years since I quit smoking. That's pretty amazing, though. Congrats. Thank you. Once they tell me, yep, you've got cancer and it's terminal, then I'm going straight to the grocery store and buying a carton of cigarettes. (laughs) That's crazy. (laughs) So So the weird thing about Janis Joplin's death is the coroner report stated that it was a heroin overdose. But the weird thing on this death is that the police never found any drugs in her hotel room. What they did find was several bottles of alcohol and a syringe, but no drugs. What do you think happened? I don't know. I had thought that she had also um, drowned, kind of like Jimi Hendrix. Oh. So I guess I wasn't really sure 100% how she had died. Yeah, they said it was a heroin overdose. Yeah. I mean, maybe she injected it all. Maybe it's true. That's why they didn't find any drugs. Yeah. Well, that's pretty crazy. So I think this is a good time to take a quick commercial break. And then when we come back, we can get into Jim Morrison, Kurt Cobain, and Amy Winehouse. No matter what city you go to, it's comforting to know that Big Belly Burger is always going to taste like Big Belly Burger. That's because we've never strayed away from founder Angus T. Bell's vision of delivering the best burger at the best price. Whether you're in the mood for our classic Big Belly Burger meal with your choice of the Belly Buster, Belly Bloater, or Belly Flop with fries and orange soda, the Cheese Meister Deluxe with our signature Chocorific or Strawberry Banana Shake, the Chili Cheese Fries with Jalapenos, or the Jolly Meal for the Little Ones, You can be assured that the same care is put into your order as we did in 1988 when Angus flipped his first burger. New for this year, keep an eye out for Big Belly Burger Food Truck outside your favorite venues in Star City, Central City, 
Hub City, and Detroit. Big Belly Burger is a subsidiary of LexCorp, founded in Coast City, California, 1988. All right, and we're back. How was your break? Good. I want one of those Cheesemeister Deluxe with orange soda so bad. It sounds delicious. Dude, even when she was talking about the chili cheese fries with jalapenos. <gasps> what? There is a place here, Winter Schnitzel. I thought, I think I can still have chili cheese fries. And then when I was looking at it, there's still little pieces of meat in there. Mm, that's delicious right there. That's the good stuff. <laughs> It is the good stuff, but I'm trying to be good by Mama Earth. But anyway, we will dive on into Jim Morrison's death. So I'm not going to go too much into detail about his backstory because I think we're all very familiar with Jim Morrison. But according to Mick Wall, he was the author of Love Becomes a Funeral Pyre. It's a biography on the doors. He was stating that in the last day of his life, it was said that his girlfriend Pam was playing some records She ended up going to bed, and when she woke up to an empty bed, she went to go check on Jim, and he was lying dead in his bathtub. So the official report is that he drank himself to death, although here's the weird thing, no autopsy report. The doctor kind of dismissed the death as just like, oh, it's another American hippie who died, and kind of like, you know, this is what happened. So he chalked it up to Jim Morrison having a heart attack that was triggered by all the immense drinking that he had and then coupled with the heat of the bath that was just a good recipe for death. I think anytime there's no like official autopsy, it already doesn't it already ring really weird and suspicious? A little bit. Yeah. I just don't feel like they would have done as many autopsies back then. Because back then I feel, you know, like when you hear like your parents, it's like, oh, whatever happened to DSO and so. Oh, well, she just died of what? Not of death. She just died of death. (laughs) Died of death. (laughs) Because back then, you know, the science wasn't as great as it is now. Because this is what, the late 60s, right? Yeah. I mean, I don't know. Maybe the science had progressed enough to where they would have done an autopsy. But for some reason, it doesn't sound that out of the ordinary for me. Well, I think it would have cleared up a lot of things, which is why once you don't have a official report, I think that's when it kind of opens the floodgates for like all kinds of conspiracies. That is true. One of the conspiracies that is somewhat well known, and that's because this particular person was saying that he was there. He was at this club. He saw him walk into this like pretty seedy nightclub. Apparently, Jim was there to score some heroin for his girlfriend. His girlfriend was also a big-time heroin user, like she was a daily heroin addict. He met these two men who were selling a particularly potent batch. So what could have possibly happened is what he was really speculating is that Jim Morrison might have taken some, went to the bathroom, and... Uh, When he, because this man who uh, said that he saw him, Sam Burnett is his name, he found him in the bathroom. And at first he was like, oh, he was sitting on the toilet and he said he had blood coming down from his nose and that he had a little bit of blood on his shirt, blood on the nose, a little bit of like maybe even foaming at the mouth or something. His initial reaction was like, oh, he's sleeping. And then he was like, oh my God, no, something happened. So when he went and talked to the club owner, Two people went down to the bathroom and he thinks that in order to avoid this club from getting shut down, 
these two people probably threw him in a hot bath to disguise the rigor mortis and maybe confuse the time of death. I've always thought that drug dealers are the most reputable sources. So if he says that that's what happened, I don't know why I would doubt him. Well, he wasn't the drug dealer. He was just a witness. Oh, okay. I'm, I misunderstood. I thought you said it was the drug dealer that <laughs> that's... Uh... Sam Burnett is the one who witnessed it. And he said that he saw Jim talking to two people. Yeah, his credibility is shot then if he's not a drug dealer. (laughs) (laughs) That's the weird one about that. But I I really would like to know on that one, just because he really meant a lot to so many singers also. Yeah, he's definitely my favorite off of all that list. I love the Doors. They did things that were just absolutely not on the airwaves and... I know he started getting like a little bit weird towards the end. Like he was putting his hands in his pants and like kind of doing weird, (laughs) like possible (laughs) masturbation things is what, you know, he was kind of getting like arrested while he was on stage and stuff like that. I don't know if that was more like a ploy. I mean, Madonna did stuff like that too. So why not him? It was a different time. Next. Kurt Cobain is like the godfather of grunge. Nirvana frontman, he joined this 27 Club in 1994 when he shot himself in the head with a shotgun. This poor guy started using drugs like in the ninth grade. He continued using drugs. He got into heavier drugs. Even after he got married to Courtney Love, they both continued to do drugs even after they had their daughter, Frances. It seemed pretty wrong that not even one of the couples was trying to pump the brakes. I feel like one of the two has to be the one with some common sense. And if they were both kind of driving this train to hell, that sucks. He did OD and quickly went to rehab in L.A. Did not seem to work at all. In fact, there's some famous footage of him jumping the fence and he flew back to Seattle. We don't really know where he was. But what we do know is that he bought a lot of heroin He bought bullets for his Remington, drank a beer, and injected an extremely large dose of heroin, and then shot himself. Entree, the conspiracy. Someone who has done that much heroin really would not be able to operate a gun. The documentary called Curtin Courtney talks to a person who claims that Courtney Love offered him $50,000 to kill Kurt Cobain. This was really to avoid divorce. He was already very unhappy in their marriage. Um, Maybe they both were. And to really stay rich, this was her way of, hey, just take him out and I'll stay rich and I won't be divorced and blah, blah, blah. I'm kind of curious on your thoughts of this one. I kind of trust the original report. As far as what you said about the heroin, with any drug, even prescription drugs or over-the-counter drugs, If you do it enough, you end up developing a tolerance. So if this guy had been doing drugs since he was in ninth grade, he probably had an incredible tolerance to heroin. So something that might knock out a normal person would just be enough to maybe just sedate him. I would like to believe that story. I don't really know what I believe because I did watch that documentary and it really had me like second guessing everything. (laughs) But in my heart that, you know, maybe she's not this evil person and um, it would be better to choose to believe that, at least personally. I wasn't the biggest Nirvana fan. I wasn't the biggest. What was her band's name? Cake or no? Hole. Hole. Uh But um, I don't see her as being evil. And I think documentaries, most of the time they have a certain narrative that they try and paint. 
So if they didn't create doubt, then they weren't doing their job. Right. I mean, look at Michael, what's his name? Uh, Michael Moore, all his conspiracy theories and everything that he comes out with. I only watched one of his, but I remember thinking it was very well made. So yeah, I should definitely check out more and just, just to instill more doubt in my life. Why not? <laughs> there isn't enough, right? You need to add more. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. One of the more, air quotes, recent additions to the 27 Club is someone we both really enjoyed her music is Amy Winehouse. She was an English singer-songwriter who achieved really great success in her very short career. According to the Amy documentary, her boyfriend-turned-husband, Blake Fielder slash Civil, he was the one who introduced her to heroin. It makes me really think about the story of Whitney Houston and Bobby Brown, because that's kind of like also the rumor that she didn't really start doing drugs until Bobby Brown introduced them to her life. I don't know. And again, another one bites the dust with that one. Very true. Yeah, Amy Winehouse is probably my second favorite from that list. I really like Amy Winehouse a lot. I would agree. She is definitely one of my favorites in this awful club, unfortunately. So, of course, yes, she had her own will, but I don't think that this particular person was good for her. It's very similar to the Jim Morrison and Pamela, where they both have their foot on the gas and they're going full-fledged into this drug kingdom type of thing. And nobody was like, hey, yellow flag on the play here. Like, maybe we should stop. So this guy sounded like he was not a particularly good person, even in general, because he was in jail for 32 months for burglarizing a home while he was high. And let's not forget, he beat up Amy while they were in their London flat. There was multiple witnesses who saw her leaving all bloody at like 3 a.m. And if you're like me, who is like morbidly curious about (laughs) what she looked like, We do have some pictures from a Daily Mail website where um, you can see her pretty messed up. But although he messed her up, she got some pretty good ones in there, too. She also got some good chingasos in. So (laughs) (laughs) at least she kind of defended herself. The worst thing is like she kept going back to him. So I don't know. She did make it to rehab despite her song. And she did try even her hand at like herself trying to go sober a few times. But the addiction was just too strong. And she checked back into rehab in 2011. And she left very hopeful. But when she performed, and this was like her final performance, June 20th and 2011, on YouTube, you can actually see it. And you'll see how she was booed off stage. It was really sad. But what was more sad is she must have been high. She looks really out of it. I think uh, being booed off stage must have really pushed Amy into like a larger spiral into drugs because a month later, that was when they found her dead in like some kind of dingy home in London. The official report was she died of alcohol poisoning. Her blood alcohol content, OMG, 0.41. Five times the legal limit. That's insane. So there's no conspiracy theory on this one. But still really dark and ugh, even the boyfriend slash husband was a jerk. I don't know, just all things wrong. And, and five times the legal limit? Like, oh my God, this is really insane. And this is why I was going to say, maybe this is a really good way to kind of exit this dark conversation and into a lighter one. Do you have any fun, crazy, this is how drunk I was type of story? 
Not really. All the times that I've been that drunk, it's usually people telling me about crazy stuff that I did. <laughs> I'll share one with you. And this is like super humiliating. Well, it's okay. We're amongst friends. It's just us. It's just you and me right now. True. It's just you and me <laughs> right now. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not a liar. <laughs> I had gone to Chihuahua. I want to say this was maybe in 99 or 2000 to go watch a concert. It was a German power metal band named Halloween. They didn't tour the US, but they toured Chihuahua of all places. So <laughs> my sister and I, we took the bus all the way there. So anyway, we're staying at my cousin's house. Shout out to my cousin, Ana Laura, who also listens to the podcast. Hey. And we're drinking tequila, which I don't like to drink, but I was like, screw it. And I got so drunk. When I went to the bathroom, like it was just coming out of both sides from... <laughs> oh no, you poor thing. You poor yeah. thing. <laughs> oh my God, that's so gross. I kept on rotating like I would throw up and then switch back oh, no. to the, the sitting position. And then, oh, and I had to throw up. So I had to stand up, throw up, reverse back to the sitting position. So I guess it uh, took a lot out of me. So I ended up passing out on the toilet. <laughs> and... um my cousin's then husband had to break down the door because they were like concerned because I had just passed out there in the bathroom. <laughs> so he found me there like sitting in the toilet, you know, like passed out. All Jim Morrison style? <laughs> oh, no. Well, not in the bathtub, but yeah, almost more uh, more Elvis, I would say. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. What about you? Now you have to share an embarrassing one. Oh, yeah. No, I remember the last time I was like, what the hell happened? It was August 1st. Yes. Sadly, I remember the date. I don't remember the full day, but <laughs> because I time traveled. But <laughs> for sure, I'm going to have to like Tarantino it a little bit. So one of my coworkers at the time, her name was Myrna. Shout out, Myrna. She had invited Jen and I, one of our mutual friends, to a birthday celebration. But it was going to be in a club. And once you're past 30, I don't really want to be in a club. I was about to say like, no, 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 thank you. But then she adds, it's also going to be a masquerade. Now I'm listening. There's a few things I want to do in life. One of them is get into a cab and yell, follow that car while I'm in full fucking disguise, <laughs> a fucking wig, sunglasses, whatever. And the other thing was to go to a masquerade. I don't have one of those little masks or anything. I didn't even know where I could get one. But I was like, yeah, I, now I do want to go. We do want to go. Wait a second. What kind of masquerade was it? Was it one of those like eyes wide shut masquerades? No. <laughs> no, it was not an eyes wide. It was just like a regular downtown dancey type club or whatever. When we went there, we only had like a couple of tequila shots and I think maybe two drinks. But even Jen said we didn't drink a lot. And I remember at one particular point in time, I like an hour or two or whatever later, and we danced and whatever. But there are pictures that I don't remember taking. But there, uh, I do have proof <laughs> that I finally went to a masquerade. <laughs> but at one particular point in time, Jen came and looked for me. And I was outside. And she was like, dude, they're about to close. I was looking for you. And I swear to you, I thought like it was maybe 30 minutes that I was out there. I don't know. There was something else in there. I felt like I had a hangover for two days. Two days. I think something else was in there. Kind of like my ambient time travel. 
where you take a couple of Ambien, you close your eyes, and then you wake up eight hours in the future, all full of butter. Oh, my God. <laughs> Hopefully not driving like the ones we heard, Olio. <sighs> no, I'm kidding. That was my awful story. Hopefully that doesn't happen to anybody. It was not very fun. But congratulations, lovelies. You've done it again. You have learned something new, hopefully, maybe. And this is also going to make your next small talk a little bit darker, at least in this case. So thank you for joining us on another conversation. I'm going to shout out one of our regular listeners, Noelle. Thank you so much for always listening and giving us some feedback. We hope you join us again next week. And you know where to find us on the Twitter and the Instagram at greetingstac. Or you can email us at greetingstac at gmail.com. Or leave us a voicemail, 915-317-6669, if you have a fun story to share with us. We're also on TikTok at greetingstac. Follow us.